Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. You know, um, last week, um, we learned that contentment is always the foundation of the generous spirit God has called us all to have. And today, as we finish, this is the last message of this series. Um, as we finish, we're going to consider the motivation for generosity. Well, as you know, I very rarely speak about money in the church, maybe once a year, twice a year. But it just so happens that going through Philippians, this last chapter deals with it. So I have no choice but to deal with it here. Um, you know, so we're going to consider the motivation for generosity. And this will be the last message of this, this series here. You know, why should Christian people be generous? It's a question we need to answer. Why should citizens of heaven be concerned with managing earthly resources? Or why should you regularly and sacrificially and, of course, cheerfully give to the Lord's work? Well, in our, in our text for today, Paul gives us three huge reasons that we want to look at today. And the first, actually an internal motivation, is to demonstrate true spiritual life. Is to demonstrate um, true spiritual life. Now again, Paul, let me remind you that Paul is writing from prison and he's thanking the Philippians for their generous gift. That's what this is about. But this was not the first time that this church had taken an offering for Paul in his ministry. It wasn't the first time by far. You see, the Philippians, they had become Paul's living link. We'll use that term. They had become Paul's living link. In fact, once their relationship was established here, this was the only church from which Paul received support um, from, this, from this church here. And by underwriting his needs here, his friends at Philippi, they empowered Paul to preach boldly um, and build churches everywhere he went from pure motives here. Paul even told the Philippians, as we learned last week, he said, I don't need your gifts. I take it only so that you can get God's reward. Um, but the Philippians, they allowed Paul to say stuff like this to everyone because of their support. He didn't have to work out. He could work on the ministry of the church. You know, no one could ever accuse Paul um, of being a mercenary preacher. No one could do that because all his needs were being covered by his friends at Philippi here. So whenever Paul took an offering, he made it clear it was done to teach God's people how to give and to bless others, and the, the gift wasn't for himself. Now, in the ancient, in the ancient world here, um, where transportation and where communication were slow, as Paul moved further from Philippi here um, for a time, maybe even several years, the Philippians, they lost all contact with him. They didn't know exactly where, where he was. But when they did hear of his need, they immediately responded. So verse 10 here, Paul writes this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. You know, the Apostle Paul, he never doubted for one minute that the Philippians would have helped him if they had only known where and how. So they didn't know at that point. Now I want you to 
note here this little word translated renewed is translated renewed in the um, New International Version and is and is translated revived in the New American Standard. Now that Greek word anathelo, which literally means to flourish again. Um, now this really conveys, if you think about it, a pretty incredible word picture here that we're all familiar with. You know, envision a barren tree or a plant at the end of winter. You know, so this is not but just like a, a month or so ago, you could see this going on. A barren tree or a plant at the end of winter, it appears just to be lifeless. There's no life in it. But with the warmth of the spring, something inside revived its buds and it flowers and it flourishes again. You know, and Paul told the Philippians, the gift you sent me is a sure sign of spiritual life. And that's what he was meaning here. So for a time, you know, a lack of, um, of fruitfulness might have caused some concern over genuine, the genuineness of their faith. You know, perhaps they were like those that Paul, he wept over in the last chapter, in the third chapter, in verse 19, where he says, whose destiny is destruction, whose God is their stomach, whose glory is their shame, and whose minds are set on earthly things. But I want you to know that Jesus said in Matthew, the seventh chapter, in verse 20, by their fruit, you will know them. But folks, where there's no fruit, people just don't know. We don't know here, you know, are we sheep or are we goats or are we wheat or are we tares? Are we true followers of God's word or are we just self-deceivers, uh, pretenders, you know, holding to hold a form of godliness but deny its power? Which are we? So since we don't know the foundation or since we don't know the person's heart, since we don't know where they're coming from here, um, since we don't know another spiritual life, we just don't know um, if they are wise men who stand or are they foolish men, you know, whose lives are, are, being, are, are, are not being built on the rock and will collapse at the first sign of danger, the first sign of storm. We just don't know. But in John, the 15th chapter, I want to refer you to that in verses 1 through 8, Jesus said this. He says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and if I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, the generosity of the Philippians um, was a fruit that confirmed their faith. And you could see it. Um, you confirmed their faith. It was real. Um, their generosity, it proved that their faith was real. 
and the Holy Spirit was in charge in their lives, and you could see that. Now, there's three kinds of spiritual fruit that I'd like to suggest to you this morning, and the first one is the fruit of godly character. The fruit of godly character. You know, as born-again people yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, um, he reproduces in us the very character of Christ. And once you know Galatians 5.22, a verse that you probably can quote, it describes it very well. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, that is what Jesus looks like. That is his fruit. If you want to know what Jesus looks like, look at that verse right there. And then there's number two. There's the imperative fruit of involved people. The imperative fruit of involved people. See, all true disciples are to be true disciple makers. Folks, that's you and I. We are supposed to be disciple makers. In both his Romans and his Corinthian letters, Paul referred to those that he had led to the Lord as his fruit. And folks, there is no doubt that this is part of what Jesus was talking about here when he says, as you bear much fruit, you show yourselves to be my disciples. There's no doubt that's what Jesus was talking about there. And third, fruit in a flourishing spiritual life is the fruit of good deeds. The fruit of good deeds. Remember Ephesians 2 and verse through 8, it tells us we are saved by grace for good works. Of course, we know the deeds of repentance do not save, but we do know they demonstrate new life. We do know that. Folks, sacrificial giving is always a strong indicator of a spiritual life, every time. And when you take the stuff that the world treasures and you invest it in the stuff that heaven treasures, you demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is present and in charge in your heart. Every time. You know, Jesus said as plainly as he could when he said, Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then if you remember, he told the Pharisees in the 21st chapter, he says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who produce its fruit. Folks, we need to be that people. You and I, we need to be that people. And we, do, we would do well to remember that Jesus also said in Matthew, the third chapter, and in verse 10, he said, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Ouch. That hurts. You know, it's important internally to show the fruit of righteousness. And generous giving will show you who you really are inside. The second thing, in sharp contrast here to the internal motivation, our second motivation for giving is all external. You know, by it, we totally focus on others to demonstrate true spiritual partnership. To demonstrate true spiritual partnership. See, Jesus, he commanded us to go into all the world. That's our commission. That's, that's the orders that he gives us. You know, we are called to serve his cause. We are called to fight his fight. And we are called to do his business. And we are called to complete his mission. 
You know, we are to make a difference in the lives of others. Folks, we are not supposed to just sit on the same pew for 40 years and hatch nothing. We're supposed to be active here, you see. Now, the generosity of the Philippians, they demonstrated that they were indeed partners in God's mission. You know, Paul said, he said, whatever happens, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And yet, in verse 14 through 18, he says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now, the key word here in both verses 14 and 15 is the word share. So if you're taking notes there, you might want to just circle that word. And we translate the Greek word koinonia as communion or fellowship, or partnership. And really, it describes an intimate sharing, a people yoked together. You see, in ancient Greece, it was the word for joint ownership. And in Barclay's commentary, he says this. He said, in contemporary secular Greek, the word is almost exclusively used as a business word. And it really makes sense. Because this whole verse is in business language, if you look at it. You see, the church is God's business. The work, you know, and we work for his company. We are his stewards. And when we do well by working together, you know, we get bonuses. And God credits them to our account. You know, Paul told the Philippians, he told the Philippians this. He says, I don't need your money but God has called you to be my partners to share in my work. So I was excited for you when I got your gift because I know God is going to bless your kingdom investment with a great return. You know, in essence, that's what he was telling there. Now, really the principle that those who give generously will be blessed by God richly is taught throughout the scripture. You can look many places in the scripture, and you'll see that that concept is taught many places. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs, the 11th chapter, um, starting with verse 24. He says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And then later in Proverbs, in the 19th chapter, verse 17, you know, he says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Notice, God has always identified with the poor. And if you notice our, in our series, we're watching The Chosen, doesn't Jesus identify with the poor there? I mean, it, it just kind of stands out. You can see that right readily. And and then Jesus, he tells us in Matthew 25, he says, when you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. And Proverbs 22 and verse 9 says, a generous man will himself be blessed, 
for he shares his food with the poor. And then there's the promise of Proverbs 28 and verse 27. You know, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. And then in Luke, the sixth chapter in verse 38, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I really like that. There was a song that had that phrase in it one time, and I thought that was pretty, pretty neat. But talking about a good measure, when they put that measure in there and they press it down and they shake it together and they put more in there and it runs over, that is a good measure. And when you measure like that, that's the way God will measure to you. Folks, that's a beautiful verse when you stop to think about it. Then Paul, he told the Corinthians in, in the ninth chapter in verse 6, he said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And by the way, I want you to know that Paul, he didn't just teach generosity, but he modeled it as well. Um, in Acts, the 20th chapter, in verse 35, he reminded the Ephesian elders there, he said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Folks, understand this. Understand that we are called to be a colony of heaven in this world. That's what we're supposed to be. But our partnership in Christ is even more intimate than just being fellow citizens or even family. You see, none of us, not a single one of us could ever begin to do the work that God has called us to do um, in this world on an individual basis. None of us could do it by ourselves. But together, as partners in Christ, we can and we do become Christ's body in the sense that we become his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece in this world. You know, as, as kingdom company shareholders, which we are, you know, partners um, with, with a real stake in what God is doing in this world. We all need to stay informed about and, of course, deeply involved in the spe specific kingdom work that God has called us to do together in this place and in this time. And you notice in our newsletter, you know, every month we, we have a mission section in there to let you know what our missions are doing, the ones that we support so that we can feel like we're partners because we are partners with them. And then on, on the first day of every, on first Sunday of every month, we have a missions moment to let you know the, the latest ongoing thing with our missions. And we highlight one every month so that we can stay in tune to what we're doing. Even though we can't see those people, you know, in a foreign country, we know that we're helping our missionaries to serve and minister to those people. We are partnering with them. And I want you to know this, every time that you serve, every time that you do a devotion, you lead songs, you teach Sunday school, you cut the grass, you empty the trash, whatever it is, every time you serve or you give to Cabin Swamp Church of Christ, you are partnering with one another in the Lord's work. Folks, we are partners here. We all work together here. You know, and as we partner together, um, 
to do the Lord's work here and collectively as a church and, and synergistically partner with other churches who share all around the world, we too, we can claim the promise of God's bountiful blessings because God's promised us those blessings when we do that. See, the external motivation of touching others in Jesus' name, that's always a pretty good motive for generous giving. But let me tell you something, it's not the best. The very best motive for generosity is eternal. Eternal. You know, it's to demonstrate true spiritual worship. Verse 18, Paul, basically, he uses Old Testament um, language of sacrifice here. He said of the Philippian gifts, starting about halfway through verse 18, says they are fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think about those words. Those, those are pretty descriptive. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing God. You know, under the Old Testament covenant, believers, they were commanded to take the, their most precious possessions, their livestock, and sacrifice, you know, it unto God. Under the new covenant, Romans 12 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, all giving, that is true worship. It really begins not by offering God the temporal things of this world, which he already owns, but by giving to him our whole selves, to be totally sold out to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, as Paul taught the church at Corinth and affluent people just like us, you know, how true Christians ought to give, he wrote this. He says, now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to, um, to bring also to completion this act of grace on, on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. Folks, you can't deny that giving is a reflection of your spiritual heart here. Three quick observations before we close. First of all, good preachers need to uphold good examples. You know, it's not about bringing the faithful people glory, but it's encouraging others to follow their examples. You know, when we see someone with a good example, I should point people to you. You know, be like this person here. The second thing, 
the faithful always give beyond their ability by first fully giving themselves to the Lord. You know, so don't, don't miss this here. Who was the faithful example that Paul held up for the Corinthians? It was the Macedonian churches. Folks, Philippi was the capital of Macedonia. And the third thing, the Philippians are our model for generosity here. These people, they were givers. You know, even in their extreme poverty, they worshiped God through joy and through generosity. And do you know how they did that? They did that by exercising a simple childlike faith in the faith and in the promise of verse 19. And look at verse 19 there. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches or glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Folks, how rich is God? Folks, we cannot outgive God. Amen. Period. But I tell you what, it's fun to try because the reward is wonderful here. Folks, it all comes down to this. Do we believe God or not? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we're just grateful for your word. We're grateful for its simplicity. We're grateful for you showing us how to receive the very best in life and how to receive the best in heaven. We're grateful for that. And Father, may we be found guilty of being your people, doing your business in a way that's pleasing to you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.